Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in the space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of our podcast, CRE Exchange. I'm Aviva Fink, your host and the Vice President of Global Marketing at Altus Group, a leader in asset and fund-level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Al-Turai, our U.S. Director of Research, and together we'll share the latest news and trends in U.S. commercial real estate markets, the topics that have caught our attention, and in this week's episode, we'll be discussing some interesting retrospectives that our research team has been leading, thinking about current state of affairs and whether or not history has a way of repeating itself. And with that, Omar, welcome to today's show. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And I guess we'll start with a topic that we have talked about really since the podcast has kicked off, and that's the state of current things. And as I mentioned in the opening, I think there's an opportunity to say that we are perhaps learning from history or able to lean on history to have a better sense of what has been transpiring. But starting with maybe the current state of affairs, where are we in the cycle? What's been happening that makes us take a look back in time to see what historical trends we can lean on? Certainly. So it's absolutely an exciting time. And that is largely because the cost of risk has been changing pretty dramatically. This started in 2022 when the Federal Reserve, as well as many other global central banks, really were making a significant effort to tame inflation, which was caused by a lot of the excess liquidity that was pumped into the economy during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. And so as the central banks raised rates, this came with many repercussions that have really reverberated across the capital markets and put pressure on many firms, especially the banks and other financial institutions that ultimately have to reprice their assets. And the cost of capital has a major implication on how they really run their business. So just to make sure that I fully understand, so that the period that we're living in is really a time where there's been a tightening and then maybe a retreat of traditional lenders or banks specifically from commercial real estate, given the risk associated potentially with their commercial real estate loan portfolios and also the cost of capital. Absolutely. And what we saw at the very start of the tightening or as interest rates started rising is that banks began pulling back. And so they pull back by tightening their underwriting standards. So that is often either shifting the criteria to which they originate loans, but also pulling back in the sense that they are no longer allocating capital to certain exposures that they don't want to have as much of. And so that could be to corporates and industrials, that could be to consumers, that could be to commercial real estate in this case. And so we saw them starting really to tighten their underwriting standards, but then also raising the cost of the new loans they were originating. And so, and part of that, does that tie into some of the bank 
I guess, failures. I wish there was a more euphemistic way of saying that of early 23. Yeah, absolutely. So the banking troubles that really started in March of this year and seemingly are still playing out, but getting maybe less or fewer headlines is really an example of the added pressures that the hiking, the rate hikes, or the overall tightening phase of the cycle has put on these institutions. And this is what we talk about, unprecedented uncertainty. There are a lot of words thrown around in industry about just how we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But because of that, I think the research team at Altus took a look at really modern history. So let's say 20th century. And what do we know? And what is this most akin to in our recent past? Or what can we learn from that? And in that research, where did you land? Which financial crisis or reset does this seem most similar to? Sure. When people hear of bank failures or I would say bank stress, it is often too easy to jump back to the global financial crisis. However, I think that you have to look a little bit further back to find level of distress or just pressure in the financial system that is much more similar to what we're seeing now. And the period that I think is most applicable or there are more similarities to now is really the savings and loans crisis that took place, started really in the 80s, but ran through the 90s. And the reason I would say that the SNL crisis is probably more representative of the current period as opposed to the GFC is because the GFC really brought the entire financial system into question and was something that you're not seeing that same type of shock uh, that... All very grateful for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the GFC 2.0 is really in the cards, at least in the coming years. But the savings and loans crisis seems to have a lot more similarities that seem reasonable and potentially applicable to the current environment. Some of our listeners, they probably lived and worked through that period. And for others, they think the SNL crisis is something that they remember hearing about. Maybe they studied for it in a test. So maybe just a, a little refresher on what happened during the SNL crisis. Sure. So in the 70s and early 80s, you had a macro environment that could be very much characterized by very high and volatile inflation, as well as central bank tightening or rate movements that were also volatile and very high. It really shocked financial institutions that existed in the U.S. and they were called savings and loans institutions or also referred to as thrifts. But these have really been around since the 1800s. They are predominantly depositor funded and they focused almost exclusively on real estate lending. Initially, they were focused on really only residential lending, but the idea was that a local community would be able to deposit their funds so they had a a safe place to put their money and earn some interest on it and could also then borrow against those deposits, the pooled deposits, to form households to really fulfill the American dream. So when you hit this period of high inflation and then Fed rate hikes that were trying to tame that inflation, there was a mismatch in terms of assets and liabilities at institutions because the rate at which 
they were paying for deposits was insufficient to really keep up with the competitive rates that the depositors could find either in money markets or pretty much anywhere else. At the time, deposit, they were regulatorily capped. And so it forced a lot of these SNLs into a situation where they were seeing this outflow of deposits, and yet they weren't earning enough on their loans because as interest rates go up, their earnings look less. And so they were accumulating more and more losses. So that was really the 70s to the 80s, you started seeing these losses accumulate at a lot of these savings and loans institutions, and many of them became effectively insolvent. However, there were over 4,000 of these across the U.S., and so just the magnitude of the problem was too great for any regulator to really step in and to really ensure the system and the soundness of the system. And so What the regulators did at the time was they effectively allowed many of these institutions, even though they were insolvent, to keep operating. And then in 1982, legislation was passed to really unharness these institutions so that they could start lending into a broader area of loans. So they could originate loans that could generate higher yields so the hope was that they would be able to grow out of this. Recover um, themselves. Exactly. When the 1982 Garn St. Germain Act was signed, ultimately that meant that federally regulated SNLs or thrifts could start making all of these new types of loans. And so they really took advantage of that and they started lending to riskier and riskier loans because they were ultimately trying to make up for the losses that they had accumulated. That resulted in a period of really rapid growth. So you had from 1982 to 85, you had the savings and loans balance sheets grow by 50%. Now, for comparison, banks at the time really only grew by around 20, 25%. So this was a real boom for the savings and loans institutions. However, there's no free lunch. And many of these loans that they originated started going bad. And that meant that they not only were not really helping the earnings of these institutions to offset the losses that they had built up, but this was just adding to the losses. And so ultimately you had In a single year, in the late 80s, I think it was 88, you had 750 of these institutions essentially fail, right? There was a full overhaul of the regulatory system and the oversight, so the supervision. FDIC was set up as well as we would probably call it a bad bank now, but it was called the Resolution Trust Corporation. And so this was a asset manager that was brought into existence by legislation, and it took the balance sheets of these failed institutions and had to deal with them. Before you carry this story forward, I'm just trying to tie the pieces together a little bit. SNL versus present day, just even thinking about asset versus loss and that balance there, that strikes a chord in terms of thinking about present day. You had what seemed to be healthy lending policies and investment strategies, but then as interest rates changed and as valuations changed, are your books balanced, right? And is that a fair way to connect SNL to present day where 
it really comes down to basic accounting, right? Like it's just how much have you lent out? How much are people trying to take out? And how much is your book worth? So I think one of the most obvious similarities that is while the risk management of the SNLs was fine until things changed, that is the same thing that really happened earlier this year where you started to see a number of either bank failures or some forced sales that took place. And I would say recently, we've seen more forced sales of these institutions that either get bought out fully or you see large loan portfolio sales. A bit of silver lining there is it doesn't look like we've repeated some of the mistakes trying to solve for the SNL crisis by just people relaxing their lending standards, right? Instead, it's almost the reverse. It's we're tightening, we're getting smarter. Does that seem to be a learning from previous approaches? Absolutely. I think that while cycle, you do see similarities. Every cycle that we go through is unique. When we have the fortune of looking back, things look obvious. But when you're going through it, ultimately, you are seeing that there are differences. So yeah. we're not necessarily repeating the past. We're finding new ways of going through similar cycles. And so going back to SNL, then how did we resolve some of that lack of function in the lending space, in the credit space? Yeah. So when RTC took on the assets, they started to really try to tap the private markets and effectively investors to be able to redistribute the risk at a new price that makes sense, that makes investors actually want to buy the assets. They had a number of vehicles that they launched. However, their mortgage trusts, which now we'll refer to them as like CMBS, they launched multiple series and helped establish the CMBS market. Even though the CMBS market was born in 85, the issuance and overall volume of transactions was a super niche market. It was known marketplace. And so when RTC started coming out with their N and S series issuances from 1990 through 95, this helped establish an appetite for and standardization of CMBS issuance. And a lot of that is actually still around today, but Sorry to interject again, but are we seeing the MBS issuance on the rise now as well? Or is this an area where we see a divergent approach? Yeah. So while CMBS is a known market, and I would say the second quarter, we saw a significant uptick of quarter over quarter. Overall issuance is down pretty significantly compared to 2022 and 2021. But I don't think anybody is questioning the CMBS market as a whole. It's just a matter of time before new issuance does come out. But this is one of the silver linings to the SNL crisis. It not only helped highlight important risk management practices, it shaped a huge portion of our modern financial institution regulatory system, but it also really created and solidified the investor appetite for mortgage trust in the CMBS market, which ultimately serves as a significant role in financing commercial real estate today. One of the interesting things, I think, just going through the history of SNL with you is, or SNL crisis rather, is that as part of the recovery, there are a lot of 
gains for us as a financial system, whether it's regulatory, it's new financial instruments or financial products, and we like get smarter and get better. So thinking about where we are in the current cycle, what are things that are shifting and some of the changes that are being discussed that may turn out, and this is granted hypothesis now, but may turn out to help reshape or refocus the financial economy? Yeah. So I think one of the big shifts that's happening is that the non-bank lenders are very present and are really on deck to start playing a bigger role. And non-bank lenders can be everything from insurance companies, which they have played a historically large role in mortgage financing, REITs, but also the debt funds. We've seen significant fundraising for and interest in debt funds. They have the ability to move pretty quickly, but also they can be highly selective. They're much more nimble than many of these deposit-taking and heavily regulated institutions. But one thing that we may see that is a bit different from SNL crisis is that this is an opportunity potentially for these debt funds to play a more significant role in the commercial real estate lending space. Interesting. What about on the regulatory side? So aside from maybe uh, not newcomers, but like a new concentration of debt funds or non-bank lenders taking on more CRE debt, any changes that we or you're tracking on the regulatory side? So regulation is interesting because there are elements that are political. It tends to move slowly, but it also can have major impacts to really reshape the industry as a whole. And There has been, and this is not new, but there has been regulatory bodies, whether it's FSOC, which is a financial stability oversight council, which is a group of multiple regulators that really comes up with guidance for and principles for the different market regulators to follow. They have raised concern around, they classify as shadow banking. So this is pretty much the growth of non-bank lenders. We haven't seen anything, I would say, massively impactful come out. But being that it's been on the radar since before the most recent banking woes happened in March, I don't think it's falling off their radar at all. I would expect in the coming years, we might see more developments there. But in the meantime, I do think that the regulated institutions, so predominantly the banks, they're getting more and more, whether it's scrutiny or attention, to have higher quality capital, as well as their examiners are getting more and more in the weeds with the institutions that they are responsible for. So I think there's growing pressure on both sides. However, I'd say the screws are being tightened much faster for the banks. Interesting. And I know we're coming up close to the time. So for members of our audience who are interested in learning more about the comparison between history and present day, specifically the SNL crisis and in current dynamics of play, where can they go for access to information? Our research team will be coming out with a article shortly that does compare the crises. This was written by our senior market analyst, Cole Perry, who really goes through the SNL crisis and how it compares to today. And so I would say go to our site and, and look at our Insight article or feel free to reach out. Great. Excellent. And yes, for those who are listening, you'll see it linked in the details of the podcast once the article is live. And with that, Omar, it's been 
such a pleasure to have you again on our podcast. I look forward to our next conversation where we get to pick up on more recent current events and some reflections on them. And yeah, to our audience, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to continuing to share our insights and research with you. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.